Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're going to push everyone in this state and in this city to give our school communities what they deserve. That's just not a responsibility of Lori Lightfoot. That is a responsibility of our legislators in Springfield. That is a responsibility of our aldermen and all 50 wards. This is something that all every one of those individuals have skin in the game. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with me are the two protagonists in the finally ended Chicago teacher strike that was the longest since 1987. Jesse Sharkey, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, and Stacey Davis-Gates, the vice president. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. I, I have been called many things, but I think that might be the first time I've ever been called a protagonist. Well, but you were a protagonist with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Why did this take so long? Why did it have to happen? And why did it take so long to resolve? I think that the mayor took advice from people who've been doing this for generations. And the advice was, don't put class size, staffing concerns, social common good demands, don't put those things in a labor contract. Uh, just because the, she had promised them didn't mean that she was going to follow through and actually negotiate over those things. And I think it actually took the strike uh, for her team to realize that they were going to have to do that. And who are we referring to? People who have been involved for generations. So you're talking about Jim Franzik. Who are you talking about, Stacey? The who I think is less important than um, the way in which the Chicago public schools has been governed for like generations that we offer the bare minimum. We keep expectations low, but we raise expectations for students and the workers in the school communities, but we don't require much of those who have the power of policymaking, those who have the power of funding, those who have the power of advocacy. And so I think the shift that you have been experiencing, that Chicago has been experiencing for the last 10 years, because I don't want to make it about just this strike or this moment in time, that there is a bona fide movement in Chicago that is anchored by teachers and nurses and paraprofessionals and counselors and social workers that have endeavored to be in coalition with parents and community organizations to bring forth a bolder vision of what our students can get. Um, we have stretched the limitations, certainly, of um, a collective bargaining agreement, but that's because I think two things. One, we see the collective bargaining agreement as a contract of the common good that we 
um, doing our school communities, right? We, we are, we are workers of the common good as educators. That's one thing. I think the second thing is, is that with the lack of democracy, um, with respect to school policy in Chicago, make that document even more so important because you really don't have anything else to push forth to, you know, shift power in terms of funding, in terms of curriculum, in terms of um, just school in general. That's right. Yeah, The, the one time that um, school workers get to hear their voices heard in public is when there's a contract fight. And in this case, it led to a strike. Um, it's the it's the one place where a parent of public school children could actually see there be enough power on our side of the equation to overcome all those decades of inertia. You know how the political system doesn't want to put um, you know provisions about services, about class size, about things like that into a school contract. And so, so this is the opportunity people had, and it really it was a remarkable outpouring of public sentiment of resolve on the part of our members. It, it took a lot of guts to do to do what uh, 25,000 teachers and um, 7,000 education support workers um, just did. It, it really did. What would this strike have occurred if the mayor had been Tony Perkwinkle? Who knows? I, I gave a, a talk at the city club uh, back in the spring uh, right after um, Mayor Lightfoot had, had won uh, the runoff, but before she had taken office. And, and, I, and I said that it wasn't so much a question of sort of the, the promises and the personal beliefs of the person who happens to be sitting in that office. It's that it, it goes back to what Stacy said. It's that there are generations of uh, pressures of uh, legal and financial limitations in the office in which the school system we've set up is not designed to really transform the lives of students. It's designed to deliver uh, a particular kind of education to working class, black, Latino people primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in the city, and trying to get, uh, trying to transform that or do something radically different it is, I think it's hard for me. It would be hard for anyone sitting in that office. What do you think, Stacey? I think that I'm, I'm a history teacher. Jesse's a history teacher. We're both parents of CPS students. And one of the things that I've noted about um, this point of time in Chicago's history is that um, we have some financial pressures because the 1% in the city and the state refuse to pay their fair share. Juxtaposed to that, you have a very powerful movement for equity and justice in this city. And you have a mayor who has an opportunity to lead with that. I am reminded of FDR. You know, he put forth a new deal for this country, something that was absolutely transformative. Um, it created the safety net for our country. And then um, he was able to enact that because there was a financial calamity. So instead of like making government smaller and becoming more conservative, he went bolder and expanded government and provided resources and supports for more people in this country. Um, the second point of history that um, I think is relevant is um, Lyndon Baines Johnson and the Great Society and the Civil Rights um, Acts. Um, in the 1960s, he had the movement, the Civil Rights Movement, um, on his back, pushing him and making him. Our mayor has 
both types of things in right now. She has a city um, government that has subsisted off of fees, fines, and closures to working people, black people, brown people in the city. And um, she has an opportunity to expand the tax base to include, you know, those who can pay more. She should do that. And she should use the movement as a way in getting that done. Um, a corporate head tax, a financial transaction tax, things that will actually transform the way in which we fund public services in this city. Number two, um, she has a movement for justice and equity. Take that movement and put forth a bolder vision of government in this moment. I mean, look, the blueprint is what we just done. We just did. Right. We couldn't do that without her. She said yes to those things. Yes, we had to like strike for 10 days. Yes, it was very it was a, it was very much a sacrifice um, for our members. Our members sacrificed six days of pay to put cla enforceable class size limits into our collective bargaining agreement to make sure that there's a nurse and a social worker in every school every single day. They they sacrificed six days of pay. You shouldn't sacrifice six, day, six days of pay for something so transformative and monumental. What we should be doing in this moment is expanding the public sector. So what you're going to do is turn your t attention to that agenda, right? That you're is going the to agenda, push, though, You're going to push the mayor to to change the way she funds city government. And well, we're going to, I mean, one thing we're going to do is we're going to run a, a, a union. And partly what that means is that we've achieved a new contract. And our members need to feel that when they walk back into their buildings. So while it is important what's happening in the city, we feel the effect of what's happening in the city in a very concrete way in the classrooms and That's in right. the faculty rooms, the schools. So the first thing that our union has to do is make sure that when our members walk back into their buildings with a new agreement, and, and by the way, that agreement has not been ratified yet by our members. People have to vote. Yeah, let's talk about that. Is, oh, that, a, oh, is oh, that a touch and go thing? I mean, the, is that possible that we would see this rejected? Because it was close in the House of Delegates. Let me say, I'll get to that in a second, but I just want to finish this point that I, I was making, which is that... The, the the words on a paper aren't like as important as the sentiments that people have in the heart and the the rights that they're willing to fight for. And so, if we establish a new right, uh, you know, for example, one of the things in this contract seems like a very small thing um, is that special education teachers should be the last call to substitute. Uh, our our teachers are always being pulled out of their classrooms to cover when their a substitute doesn't show up for the day. Well, last call means that your your AP or your principal should substitute before you do. But that's hard to tell your boss not to do that. That's not a word on a paper isn't, isn't going to do that. That's going to be because teachers and other workers in school back each other up. And so, sure, part of what our union does is it pays attention to politics in the city. And the other part of what our union does is it defends people's rights and gets people to defend their own rights in their building and tries to give our members the confidence to, to make that really felt at work. So that's going to be an important job for us. Um, the ratification. Yeah, yeah, the ratification vote. So, yeah, there was uh, the vote in the House of Delegates was 60% to say, let's call that a tentative agreement, and 40% to say, no, uh, let's stand strike and achieve more. And I'll say two things about that. Uh, one is that... We deserve everything. You know, the, the schools deserve more. The 
the children of the city of Chicago deserve more. We made demands, not just that there be $35 million for, you know, to enforce class size limits, but we wanted to see the class size limits come down. We wanted to see, you know, smaller classes in every school in the city of Chicago. Well, that's an expensive demand. And it was a demand that, um, you know, we had to really grapple with about whether or not we could say, this is a tentative agreement and that we've achieved what can be achieved right now, given all the things, the, the balance of power, um, the amount of money that's in the budget, the, the strength and resolve of our people. And I think our people have a lot of strength and resolve, but at some point, you know, every contract has to land. And, uh, you know, the fact that there were 40% of the people who said, no, we like to see, we want to see classes smaller. I don't think that's a bad thing. I well, there's also criticism, Stacey, about you, that you guys did not emphasize special ed enough and quickly enough. That's a real big point, point of Absolutely contention. Absolutely it is. Look, Rahm and Forrest Claypool destroyed special education to the point of where there is uh, a state-mandated monitor um, figuring out special education. Um, and what we were able to do with this contract is uh, rebuild infrastructure, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it is going to take a lot more. And some of that is based on policy within uh, the Chicago public schools, the limitations of collective bargaining smacked us in the face with respect to the special education program. Um, the special education program was defunded. Um, it is going to require more funding from the state um, and from the Chicago public schools to rebuild. Um, we're gonna need more special education teachers. We're gonna need more case managers to rebuild that space. That is absolutely correct. And I would say what we did with special education probably far outweighed most of the gains in this contract. Absolutely, I could tout um, the enforceable class size limits, the social worker, the nurse in every school. I can also tout very clearly the pathway to having librarians um, restored back into our school district. And I would like to say that special education got a lot of special um, love, so much so um, that it isn't where it needs to be, certainly, and it wasn't, and it isn't where it was prior to this contract fight. You know, what was most telling about these 10 days is that we were actually bargaining those 10 days. So as the photographs of the powerful picket lines and the rallies and the demonstrations were, you know, splattered across all newspapers and news outlets during the past 11 days, um, we were actually at the table bargaining a contract um, that we started 10 months ago, but actually didn't get to until um, our members were on the picket line. And so it was a very intense um, moment. There, there was just intensity. Um, those were like 14 hour days. Um, mm -hmm. They were days in which you were absolutely exhausted, yet still having to pay attention to, you know, minute details and be clear about um, making decisions that reflected the best that you had in that moment, but also for what you needed in the long run. What now, did I mean, we learn just, about Lori Lightfoot throughout this? That's that's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, I, I, um, I've got a thought about that. Before I just want to, and I know you've got time pressure, but I uh, I just want to add one thing to what Stacy said, which is that um, special education receives as much attention in this bargaining process as anything 
that, that we bargained over. There was a that we had a group of ten rank and file members who were classroom special education teachers. So a significant portion of our bargaining team um, did that work and, and were there because they wanted to fight around the, those issues. Um, I, I think that when you know when people um, have a chance to step back. Um, and assess the overall picture of what, what this contract is and isn't, um, I think that we can say, you know, we should be proud of the things that we accomplished and that, like, on balance, this is a pretty remarkable achievement. Everything we deserve, no. But um, I feel like there are things that are going to make the lives of special educators better and are going to allow us to deliver better services for students. And I just think we should keep that in mind in the overall mix. All right, let's talk about Lori Lightfoot then. What did we learn about her? Well, I, I think I could have learned more, but yesterday I couldn't even uh, go with Jesse or our attorney, you know, to um, yeah, complete the right to uh, the return to work agreement. Um, I was stopped at the elevators by her security and said that I couldn't go um, to the fifth floor and be a part of those return to work negotiations. You know, I've been at the table for everything. Um, the meeting that we had with her and her team um, in earlier in the week, I was there for that, um, but was refused entry, quite frankly. Um, so it was kind of well, shocking yesterday. Why? When why she, do you suppose? I don't know. But, you know, she was offended when Jesse said that he didn't want to stand with her. And I think that, you know, Jesse took the high road in that moment. But, you know, she refused his vice president, um, his co-negotiator, entry into the last um, part of our negotiation. So it is shocking that she would be shocked that he wouldn't stand with her in that moment. And here she is standing with four, as one of four African-American women announcing the agreement, and yet the, the fifth one, who was Jesse's partner, was denied. Why do you suppose? I don't know. You would have to ask her that. You know, one of the things that I think uh, folks have tried to pull a thread on is the, um, is, 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 is the black girl magic, um, as they call it. I want to put a shot. What do you mean the black girl well, magic? Well, I mean, you just said it. You just said it was five black women and why was one denied? Um, what I want to say in this moment is that, you know, the work that, you know, I've endeavored to do at the Chicago um, Teachers Union as a high school teacher, as a mother of two black girls, is to make sure that my work reflects um, the many and that it's not a just about Stacy at the teachers union, but it's about all of the other Stacys that I want to see who are now in the Chicago public schools. I want those um, little girls to see leadership. I want them to see compassion, but I also need them to have school communities that are fully funded, um, that offer them opportunities for extracurricular activities, that offer them opportunities to be the best that they can be. I think that this contract that we've put together um, with uh, what a 33% increase to sports funding um, mm -hmm. is going to go a long way and in providing infrastructure to that. I think that this contract that proposes to provide equity first to communities like Roseland, Inglewood, North Lawndale, um, to prioritize wraparound supports there, to make sure that class sizes are lowered in those communities first. Um, I am encouraged by that work. You know, not necessarily all of the, you know, the 
salacious stuff, but disappointed is the word that I would use for being refused entry into that So meeting. what did we learn about Lori Lightfoot throughout this whole episode? Mm-hmm. The fact that it came to this point, that she didn't negotiate sooner, that you got what you got. What, what did we learn about her? That she held out on the no days and well, then one gave thing, in? One thing we learned is that Lori Lightfoot is prone to saying um, sort of unwise, pretty provocative things in public, uh, which then uh, which then put her in a corner in, in negotiations, which these, she's then subsequently required to, to back out of. Um, so, for example, she said that class size and staffing didn't belong in a labor contract. Class size and staffing are in a labor contract. Um, she said that she wouldn't put any more money into the labor contract. Well, she put a lot more money into the labor contract. She said she wouldn't make up any school days. You know, this, so this is a pattern. And and, and the it, pattern is what? That she talks tough in caves? Well, I don't, it's not so much mm. about caving. I, I, w- I wouldn't say it that way. What is I, it about her I, that I would, we well, learned here, here? Here's what I think. I mean, I think that she approaches the policy debates the way a prosecutor would. That she makes a very strong advocacy argument, uh, but that she states it in ab- somewhat absolutist terms and doesn't leave herself... So to say there's no more money, I'm not putting any more money in. Well, the thing is that a lawyer would say that to a judge, and the judge would make a decision, and if the judge needed to uh, have to make a compromise in order to make a ruling, that wouldn't be on the prosecutor. Well, what the mayor needs to realize is that in that situation, they are sort of the judge, they're the deal lander. And so if you say there's no more money, you're just putting yourself into a a hole uh, or corner you know, and you see that experienced politicians or deal landers don't talk like that. And, and I think that's, that's certainly been one of the features of the way the mayor has approached this. Um, and I what don't should think she learn from this? That she has a movement that will um, provide her with the energy and the courage to, um, to finalize all those promises that she made on the campaign trail. You know, I use the example of FDR and LBJ for a reason. Um, Both of those uh, leaders had opportunity, but they also had circumstances and movement to help them um, meet the needs. Look, there's no secret that this city has opposing forces. You have those, um, which we call the 1%, that have a lot. And then you have a movement, which the Chicago Teachers Union is a part of, that wants the resources from the public sector to actually meet the neighborhoods where our students reside. All of our members, they live in all 50 wards of this city, right? So when you hear these like false arguments that we're not taxpayers or that we're not parents and that we're not a part of the larger community, that's absolutely false. It's so false, in fact, that our members are the ones pushing a justice um, narrative and, and, and for those types of policies to permeate the city because they work with children who need that to happen they have children where that should be uh, where that should be something that impacts them and that it should impact their everyday when property taxes go up in the city our members are paying those property taxes what is the cost of this contract because there's concern that it might really strangle the board because we're talking about a record tiff surplus that helped fund just this year of it right and the CFO, Jenny Bennett, saying that we need to find a 
another source of revenue going forward with this. What is the cost and where is it coming from? So a couple of things about the AFRAN. Number one, we know that the city offloaded um, expenses to the Chicago Public Schools budget um, when they surplus TIF. Um, we're paying for cops in our schools when we should be paying for counselors in our school. Um, she offloaded um, a pension um, um, a, a expense to our contract, both two expenses that the city have absorbed. Um, that's not fair. Um, number two, this is a moment about revenue. You know, it's always reductionist when we talk about our schools. Meanwhile, Lincoln Yards, um, we're going to build a playground for wealthy folks in one of the richest neighborhoods in the entire world. And w that's not something that folks said no to. But we're going to nickel and dime students who still don't have everything that they deserve, by the way. We got the basic minimum in this contract. I want you to put that in perspective, right? Our Chicago public schools still does not have enough adults in, in our school buildings. If you look at where the Chicago public school stands in comparison to the rest of the state, we still have less staff in our school communities. That being said, this fight for 10 days was significant because we're at the minimum at this point. There's still much more to go. So to hear this discussion arise about, about oh, my God, it's going to cost too much money. No, quite frankly, it, it should be costing a lot more mm -hmm. money. And if it doesn't. Where should the money come from? Rich people. And I've said that a lot of times. Reinstate the corporate head tax. You know, we are encouraged that fairness. the governor, right, yeah. we're, encourage, we're encouraged that the governor has put forth a fair tax to put that on the ballot. We're going to be working on that. Our students across this state deserve a well-funded education. We have an evidence-based funding formula in the state of Illinois that prioritizes um, class size, wraparound services, special education services, bilingual, that it, it, it adds money to school districts that are dealing with students who exist in concentrated poverty. That costs money. And it's an investment. It is an investment, and it's very antiquated in 2019 to say, schools cost too much money yet you have skyscrapers all around this city you have the west loop that was built by taxpayers taxpayers some of them who will never visit those tall skyscrapers yet taxpayers go into school communities every day they should be able to have a school community that's fully funded and responds to the needs of their children yeah, so get, you're going to push concrete. her to to push for these we're going to push everyone in this state mm -hmm. and in this city to give our school communities what they deserve. That's just not a responsibility of Lori Lightfoot. That is a responsibility of our legislators in Springfield. That is a responsibility of our aldermen and all 50 wards. This is something that all every one of those individuals have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Now, Mike Madigan and Cullerton said they will talk about the elected school board in the spring the mayor didn't want to talk about that at the table you were trying to get her to sign on to a specific bill she calls unwieldy are you happy with that is that going to happen in the spring do you have a commitment on that well, i mean i think we i mean i think we've seen statements that say that the legislative leaders and the governor uh, support legislation that's both popular and warranted i think that one of the things that we how large seen is the board going to be I, it's going to be subject to negotiation, and I'll be happy to, you know, I, I'll be happy to be one of the people involved in that discussion. Do you have a commitment that a bill will be passed out of both houses in the spring? I, I think there's political support for that. 
And of I course, think there has been yeah. for a while, but yeah. that doesn't mean it yeah. happened. It, no, it well, happened the in la- one chamber. Well, Fran, the last cog in this was uh, the Senate president. Listen, we've passed bills out of the House multiple times for um, an elected school board and for our bargaining rights. That has happened. We've seen that commitment um, a few times. Um, the issue has always been in the Senate. And so to get that statement of support um, from the Senate and then the governor to back it up, like I'll sign it when it comes to my desk, that means everything. Look, we can. So you think it's going to happen this spring? You think you have a commitment to have it happen? Our movement has been pushing for this for some time. And we're going to continue to push forward until it's completion. And we look forward to May 31st. How much sleep did you get the last couple of weeks? Not How much. much you, no. Do you feel like you could sleep for a hundred years and still not catch up? <laughs> I, I I will. This this uh, this last month or so probably took a year off my life, <laughs> but um, you know I felt like I lived I lived uh, I feel like I lived that year this last month. Look, it's been intense and a little exhausting, certainly emotionally draining, but a lot of ups and downs. But it's also been very inspiring last month. Really, the people of the city of Chicago. The members of SEIU and the CTU, uh, really, I think we showed the city what it means to care, uh, to put yourself forward, sacrifice, and to achieve something. So I'm proud of that. And you're sure that this is going to pass ratification? You're not absolutely. You know, you all are. It is always interesting to hear an outsider's perspective of our House of Delegates, because teachers are critical by nature, and so so are reporters. Okay, so <laughs> you get it then. Um, look. I expect a raucous house. I expect um, a group of educators who have sacrificed 10 days won't get paid for six of them to ask a lot of difficult questions and to comb through it and be critical of it. If they didn't, I would be worried, quite frankly. Um, And number two, as they are combing through it and being critical, they are finding the thing that they fought hard for and then they're finding the other thing and then the other thing and then the other thing so you don't think it's a a chance no you know what i look forward to having those discussions with our members the questions that you get how you comb through it the criticisms about it that is what makes our house you know um special it was an amazing uh discussion i mean really it's like people who put everything on the line for two weeks uh, pouring right. out their emotion, and That's it was right. it was this incredible debate. But you have no I, I, it was the no most democratic thing I've ever seen in my life. The, the t- contract I, I, getting turned I, down well, by let, the rank Let me file. say this: I, I'm not sure of anything. <laughs> I, 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 it's a democratic union. I think people get uncomfortable with that because it's so rare that we have real democracy in in, in mass spaces with powerful institutions. Uh, but what I'm 100% sure of is that I trust the members of this union. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, best of luck to both of you. Let's hope we don't have to go through this again for another five years and maybe not after that. Thank you so much, Jesse Sharkey and Stacey Davis-Gates. Thanks, Fran. I'm Thank Fran you. Spielman. We'll see you next week. <laughs>